Hey guys, we're so excited to share this message with you on the Center Set podcast. My name is Ethan and I lead worship here at Center Set. We'd love for you to download our app so that you can keep up with all that is happening in our community. Text Center Set to 77977 to download. What's up? Who's excited for church? A lot of new faces. If we have not met, my name is Ali and my wife and I, we started Center Set four years ago with a simple dream. We wanted to create a place where not only Christians could come in and grow in their faith and be set on fire for the love of God, but we wanted to create a place where not only for unchurched people to explore their faith. So if you're new to church and you're nervous, believe me when I know this, most of the people that started the church, we didn't get saved until our 20s. We know exactly what it feels like to come to a church and be nervous. You are welcome here. This is a place where you can belong before you believe. Amen? And if you, if you walked in for the very first time, I just got to warn you, we are a loud church. This tribe has a vibe, and we are in a collection of talks called A Very Bold Christmas. And it's a play on words because we are changing the name of our church to Bold Church. And I've been asked this question multiple times. Why the rebrand? It's not a rebrand. Rebrand is what corporate America does. God gives you a new identity. Multiple times in the scriptures, he changes the names of people. It's Abram to Abraham. Paul to Saul. And, and what God is doing with us, he's changing us from center set to bold. That's who he sees us as. So we're just embracing what God is saying about us. Amen? Amen. And because we're a church and not just a food event truck company, right? We're going to pray and I'm just believing God's going to speak to you as, he, as I'm speaking. There are two preachers here tonight. One's a hairy Middle Eastern, come on. And the Spirit of God who drew you here. And he wants to speak to you and tell you that if you're new to church and you don't know who he is, let me just tell you. There's one thing you walk out of this room with. He loves you. He loves you. Let me just pray real quick. God, thank you so much that you have us here tonight. God, thank you so much that you're speaking to us. Spirit of God, would you do something on the inside of us that I pray that we wouldn't just attend church. We wouldn't just watch church. God, we would be the church. Speak to us. Change us. We love you. We worship you. We praise you. If you believe it, everybody said. Everybody said. Can we give some Jesus some noise on his birthday? Come on. Today is actually the 10-year anniversary of my ordination as a pastor. Crazy, right? I'm looking back 2011, and before that, I was a youth pastor for five years. So I've been pastor for 15 years, but 10 years ago, they, they gave me the card. I can say whatever right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but 10 years ago, I was ordained, and my pastor called me into his office and said, hey, we want you to ordain you. We want you to preach in the main service. You got to understand, I went to an Iranian Christian church. I still love them. They still love me. And they have two services, and a Farsi side, about 250 people, and then they had an English side, about 25, 30 people. And I was pastoring the English side. They said, we want you to preach on the big side. I'm like, when? They said, Christmas. I said, oh, my God. <laughs> Let me share with you a secret timeout. Let me just give you a secret. Most pastors will never tell you this. And you can't, leave, you can't leave this room with this information. You can't put this on Facebook. Don't put this on Twitter. I'm going to get in trouble if I tell you this. But most pastors, we don't like preaching on Christmas and Easter. It's the truth. It's not that we don't love the crowds and the people, but we got to say the same thing every year. He was born on Christmas. He died and resurrected on Easter. Guys, 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 next year, he was born on Christmas and he died and resurrected. And every year, you expect me to... Preach a message that's creative, that's fun, it's going to make you cry, has to be fresh and new. It is stressful. Every pastor I know, we hate. The stress of preaching on Christmas is painful. And I remember my pastor said, you're going to do awesome. He's like, this is what he, he told me his question. Just tell them what's so amazing about Christmas. 
what's up? You want me to walk on water next week and cure cancer the following? And what do you mean what's so amazing about Christmas? And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. What is so amazing about Christmas? And if I can tell you one fact about what I think is the most amazing fact in the world is that the whole world, it's whole, every calendar in the world marks its beginning on, East, on Christmas. Doesn't matter what country you go to, doesn't matter if you're even if in a, a Middle Eastern Muslim country, you ask them what year it is, they'll say 2021. What is the origin? Because it, it was 4,000 BC, then 3,000 BC, then 2,000 BC, then 1,000, then zero. What is zero? Was it when tacos were invented? Come on. That'd be a good starting point for life. Was it when math was invented? Was it when science was invented? No, it was the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus is zero. And before his birth was BC, and after his, when he was born, it's called 80. Many Christians think it's after death. It's not that. It's Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. And so many people think, oh, it's, 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 it's after his death. Well, he was born at zero, and he died at 33 AD. And today, it's... 2021 from years from the year of our Lord. I love, I love talking to atheists. I, you don't believe in Jesus? No, I believe in God. I'm like, what year is it? 2021? Doesn't matter. You can't even tell what time it is without God. Come on. <laughs> if, I, if I were to ask you, well, what is so amazing about Christmas? Maybe you'd say, you know, the Starbucks drinks that the supply chains are, are, are limiting right now. Or maybe it's the holidays, the, the lights, the Christmas movies. And maybe for you, it'd be the, the time with family. Maybe it's the deals you get at the mall, but what is so amazing about Christmas? And my assignment today is this, is to convince you of this truth, that Christmas is amazing. Christmas is amazing. If I can prophetically declare, I understood the assignment. <laughs> I'm going to convince you today. Come on. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Matthew chapter 1. And it's a prophetic verse and. It's going to spend most of our time talking about Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed. See, we read this word betrothed and we're confused. Because in our culture, there are three phases of dating. We, we, we date, then we get engaged, and then we get married. And we think, oh my gosh, Jewish culture, they must date, then they must betroth, and then they get married. No, no, no. In Jewish culture, there's only two phases. You date in court, and then you get married. And then there's two Phases of your marriage, the betrothal period where you don't have sex, which is like more like suffering if you ask me. And then there's a the part where you consummate the marriage. So when you get betrothed, you're literally standing before one another, before family and friends, and especially God, because it's not a piece of paper they give you. You're, you're committing yourself to this person. We're getting married. So Mary and Joseph, they betrothed. They, they gave their vows. But what happens in Jewish culture is the husband, he leaves for a certain amount of time. To do what, Pastor Alec? To go build a house. How many of you ever see construction workers taking their time? When a man is married and he's building that house six days a week, come on. He's motivated to get his wife in that house. And Joseph and Mary, are, they are betrothed, and it continues. They came, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, notice that the Bible calls her her husband. Being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Because in Mosaic law, that if a woman was married and she committed adultery, that you could stone her. You could publicly shame her. But Joseph's such an honorable man. He, he wants to take the blame. He, he wants to cover her sin because love covers a multitude of sin. He 
He wants to just honor her, even though he feels so disrespected and hurt. Imagine what's going on. He married this woman, and now she's pregnant. How do you get pregnant without having sex? It's a miracle. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife. Even the angel says it's his wife. They, for, which, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. This is the second time the scripture says it's from the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is actually the English name for the Greek word, but they had to translate the Hebrew word into Greek, and the, the Hebrew word is Yeshua. Somebody say Yeshua. Yeshua. Yeshua means God is salvation. It means for he will save his people from their sins. And so this was all done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. It doesn't say the prophet, but the prophet is Isaiah. And I'm going to spend some time on this verse right here, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And this verse, that, that last sentence, was actually a reiteration of a promise that God gave his people through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is one of the Old Testament prophets. He wrote the book of Isaiah 740 years before Jesus was born. And many theologians call his book, the book of Isaiah, the fifth gospel. We have Matthew, Marky Mark, little Luke, Uncle Luke, and little John, and those are the four gospels. And <laughs> Isaiah is considered the fifth gospel. Why? Because there are more messianic prophecies in the book of Isaiah than any other book in the Bible, outside of the, the gospels, obviously. And Isaiah was a, a prophet. And let me give you this reiteration that this angel is declaring this promise. But when they gave it 700 years ago, we think, oh, there's just going to be a virgin. Let me tell you the context. It will help you understand and it will bring some hope to you this morning. Israel is divided. You know, in America, there was the civil war in the north versus the south. There was a civil war in Israel. Judah separated from Israel. Judah is the northern kingdom. Israel is the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom, Judah, is led by a guy named Ahaz. Someone say Ahaz. He's supposed to be the spiritual leader of this country, but he's more ratchet than righteous. He doesn't walk with God. He doesn't go to church. He's all about himself. And Syria is now about to attack Judah. They have 300,000 men, and Judah only has about 30,000. I'm not sure if you can do math, but that, you're outnumbered 10 to 1. You're, these guys, this man is terrified. And Isaiah comes to him. And wants to give him a word of encouragement. Don't be afraid. God's promises over your life, over this country, are not done. Are not done. And, and Isaiah, uh, Ahaz can't listen to it. He, he's, he has so little faith. What he does on the side, he, he actually does a, a third country, invites a third country, Assyria. He, 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 in his mind, he, he sees two options. Either we go to war and we all die, or I can sell all the people of, of Judah into slavery and I'll buy my freedom. And that's actually what he's doing. And so when Isaiah gives this, pro this promise, this proclamation, this prophecy, he doesn't understand it. But I think when I explain it to you, it will open up your eyes to the goodness of God. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10. It's on your screen. It says, Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz. Someone say Ahaz. Saying again, a sign for yourself, for the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. God's saying, test me. Watch what I'm about to do. And Ahaz, look what he says. I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Sounds so noble. It's not that he doesn't want to test God. He doesn't want to trust God. Because when God gives you a word, when he gives you a promise, you've got to live on that promise. This guy doesn't have any faith, though. And then it continues. Then he said, hear now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? He's like, 
How small is your God that you don't have faith? And then look what he says. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. I'm going to give you a sign that you won't die. That even though there's 300,000 men outside the city of Judah, you won't die. Here's the sign. And Ahaz is like, oh, my gosh. You're going to send, like, like a Darth Vader to, to be on my team? Or are you going to give me a machine gun? What are you going to give me? Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Imagine the confusion that Ahaz is seeing. I thought you were going to give me a gun or a missile, maybe a, a drone that's going to win the war for us. You're going to be a 14-year-old girl with braces about to get pregnant. Like, what is this? And it's a promise that Ahaz does not understand. And I'm hoping to open your eyes. Several centuries ago, God gave a promise to Adam and Eve. When they sinned and were separated from God, he said, I'm going to send a savior. He's going he's to crush the serpent's head, the devil's head, but the serpent's going to bite his heel. And then he made the same promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that through their lineage, the whole world will be blessed, not financially, spiritually. And, I, and Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons. They became the 12 tribes of Judah. One of those sons is Judah. Someone say Judah. Yeah. One of Jesus' names. He's got hundreds of names. He is the lion from the tribe of Judah. And what God is saying is, I don't care how many men they have. The Savior hasn't come through you, Judah. The Savior hasn't come. You think God, you think the enemy's big? You have no idea how big God is. And until I'm done, it's not over. So what he's basically saying is until the Savior comes, you put a million people out there. They're still not going to win. And that promise was not just for them. It's still for you too. Because the promise is over your life. The calling that you have, the enemy, there's no weapon formed against you that shall prosper. Some of you have forgotten what God wants to do in your life. You see a little setback. You see some things that are holding you back. You have no idea. It does not matter how strong you think Satan is. God is stronger. God is stronger. There are times I need to hear this. Because for the last eight months, we've been doing church at 5 p.m. And I love doing church at 5. But I'd rather do church at 11, amen? I remember those days. And it's not because we're not trying. We've knocked... On 73 doors, there was one building, I don't even want to mention the name, we knocked on their door 10 months ago and said, please, we would love to give you $10,000 a month. Please let us in. They said, actually, we don't want a church to come in. Three months later, no joke, they allowed not just one, but two churches to go in. A little bitter. A <laughs> little bitter. Then these guys, these two churches left, and we knocked on the door again. Hola. Can we please come in? Actually, we don't want any churches anymore. And it feels like there's a curse. And God's saying, the promise over this church is not done. As big as you think Satan is, the same promise that God gave Ahaz is the same promise over your life. But I got to warn you, though. Satan can't stop you, but you can stop you. You can choose not to follow God. And God gives you the choice of life and death. Choose life. And here's this betrothed couple, this... 20-year-old man, maybe this 14, 15-year-old girl. They're married, but they haven't consummated. God gives this promise that he gave 700 years ago again, and he repeats it. And my assignment today is to convince you what is so amazing about Christmas. Point number one, if you're taking notes in church, and if you're not taking notes in church, you want to write this down. God, someone say God. God. Became human. God became human. I'm, I'm, I'm a, consider myself a theologian, and many people think theology is boring and dry. No, 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 you're boring and dry. <laughs> Read your Bible, use some lotion. Come on. 
Theology is actually two words in one. It's theos, which means God, and ology means the study of. So theology literally means the study of God. And if you're called, you and I are called to love God with all of our strength, all of our hope, all of our mind, we're called to study him. Amen? Amen. And when you study the scriptures, you realize Christmas is amazing because the whole world tells time by Christmas. The whole world tells time by Christmas. And this, this idea that God became human is the most attacked doctrine in the Christian faith. Who is Jesus? Is he a good man? Is he a prophet? Is he a spiritual leader? Or is he God in the flesh? And Jesus knew that every generation of people would struggle with this answer. So he answered himself. Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? The Son of Man is a term describing his humanity. He was born of a woman. But here's the tension. It continues. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus turned to them and says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. The son of the living God. And that is the tension tonight, that Jesus is fully God and yet fully man. And he asks every single person in this room the same question. Who do you say that I am? And your answer will determine your eternal destiny. Is he a teacher? Is he a good man? Is he another Deepak Chopra, Krishna, Buddha, Muhammad, or is he God in the flesh? And the reason, let me tell you, the reason why Christians believe he is God who became human is this theological concept. It's on the screen, the Immaculate Conception. Before I got married, I used to live with four guys, total bachelor pad. Imagine Friday nights, video games. Imagine how nasty that bathroom was. These men did not know how to aim, okay? So we had to, for health reasons, to bring in a cleaner every two weeks. Because it was hazardous to my health to live in that house. And every two weeks, I'd walk in the door, it was an immaculate house. It was clean. Immaculate means clean, pure, spotless. Jesus was clean, pure, and spotless. Why? Because he was different than every other prophet, every other teacher, every other spiritual person. Why? Let me show you again in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says, she was found with child of, someone say of, of, of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 1, verse 20 says, for that which is conceived in her is of, someone say, of, of, of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus w- was fully man, but he was fully God. The seed came from a woman. I mean, I'm sorry, the egg came from a woman. The seed did not come from a man. The seed came from the Holy Spirit. And this is very significant and important for you to understand this. In the Old Testament, it says 10 times the sins of the Father will be passed on to the next generation, the third or fourth generation. This is why you see alcoholism in a family from the grandfather to the father to the son. It's like a generational thing. That's why you see adultery repeated again. That's why you see anger repeated again. Why? Because it says the sin of the father is repeated to the fourth, third or fourth generation. It never says, though, that the sin of the mother is repeated to the fourth generation. All the moms are like, I knew it. Come on. My kids are crazy because of him. Now I got a Bible verse to back it up. You do. But this is why Jesus is different than any other prophet, every other evangelist, every other spiritual leader, because he is different. He was not born of men. He was born of the Holy Spirit. 
and every other religion. It's man's attempt to get to God. Christianity is God's attempt to get to man. And there's no other religion, let me just say this, that their founder claims to be God. Because he was, he was born in the immaculate conception. But that goodness, that purity is not just for him. It's a promise for you. Look at this, 1 Peter verse, verse 1, verse 23. Haven't been born again. Someone say born again. Born again. Not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible. That's a promise for you. Through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. God, that's God's promise over your life. That when you are born again, that, that curse that comes from your family is broken. Adultery is broken. Anger is broken. All those things are broken in the name of Jesus. And Emmanuel, Christmas is amazing because it's not just Emmanuel, God with us. It's better than that. It's God becomes us. When God wanted to send us a messenger he didn't send someone. He sent himself. When we needed a rescuer, he didn't send someone to do the work for him. He sent himself. Everything that we needed, God sent himself to be the solution. I have a mentor of mine. He has a massive 15,000-person church in, in, in Texas, Dallas, Texas. And this man has, like, imagine 15,000 people. He's got all kinds of people in the church, people who work in retail, people who are CEOs, people in government, people in the private sector. He has this judge in his church, and he tells a story about this one time. One of his friends comes to the judge and says, Judge, I got a speeding ticket. Can you please take care of it? And the judge is like, yeah, sure. So the guy comes back four or five weeks later, and they're having coffee. He's like, dude, thank you so much for handling my ticket and, like, dismissing it. And the judge is like, I, I, didn't, I didn't dismiss your ticket. Now the guy's freaking out. He's like, whoa, it's not going to take on my record. My insurance is going to go up. What do, you, what do you mean you didn't dismiss it? He's like, I paid it. I mean, now the guy's embarrassed. He's like, dude, I didn't want you to pay it. I want you to do your judge thing. You know, like you just rip it up, sweep it on the rug, like do your judge thing. <laughs> and the guy looks at him and says, were you guilty? The guy gets a little nervous and doesn't answer. And the judge says, were you guilty? The guy goes, yeah. Then justice demands payment. The Bible says that the wage of sin is death. And the justice of God demands that we die for our sins. But the judge became a human, and he paid it himself. What's so amazing about Christmas? God became a human. God became a human. Point number two, if you're taking notes, write this down. God became a human. Now, some of you are confused because you went to public school and you see no difference. <laughs> It's okay. We love you here. Let me show you both of them at the same time to help you. The first point is God became a human. The second point is God became a human. I'm emphasizing something different, even though it says the same thing. I want to talk to you about the humanity of Christ. Jesus needed to eat to live. His mom needed to breastfeed him or he would have died. He needed to drink water. He wasn't a Marvel superhero. He needed his diapers changed. He had to learn to walk. He was a human. The creator became creation. Why, though? Why did God have to do that? John 1, verse 1 says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you've never read this verse before, Notice the similarities to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The writer is doing that on purpose. He's trying to lead you to an idea that's woven throughout the entire scriptures that Jesus is not a new idea. 
there in the beginning. And John 1, verse 14, tells you who the Word is. John 1, 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we behold His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of truth. John 3, 16 says, So God, for God, so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. We're talking about the humanity of Christ and then 1 John 4, verse 2 says, By this we know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh, that God became human, is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the, the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. 2 John 2, 7 says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus as coming in the flesh, God literally became human. This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Let me tell you why it is so important that Jesus had to become a man. Because only a man could pay the penalty of sin. This is why many people attack the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ. Was he really God? Was he really human? If he, if many people deny that he was a God. They say he's just a good teacher. He's just a good prophet. He was never fully God, but he claimed to be. So either he's a liar or he really is. Good is out of the equation. And then some people say, well, he's God. He didn't really die on the cross. Well, then he did a magic trick, bro. He's better than David Blaine and Michael Copperfield, whatever those guys, David Copperfield. He <laughs> pretended to die. No, he he really was scourged for us. He really was beaten for us. He really did bleed blood. He really was nailed to a cross. He really did breathe his last breath for us. And the good news is, he really did resurrect as a human for us. Amen? <laughs> Hebrews talks about the power of what Jesus as a human did on the cross for us. Hebrews chapter 2, verse, verse 14. Because God's children are human beings, that's me and you, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil with the power of death. We were in bondage. Death could not be defeated. Then Jesus, God, became human. And he didn't just defeat sin on the cross, he defeated death on the cross for us. Amen. And then what's so amazing, if you continue reading Hebrews, it says that everything that you and I experience, rejection, fear, abandonment, everything that you and I have experienced, Jesus himself experienced. There's no, no temptation, no suffering, nothing that, that you and I have not gone through that Jesus himself did not gone through. Jesus' best friend betrayed him. Jesus grew up in a home where his father wasn't there. Jesus was not accepted into the best colleges. Jesus was abandoned, rejected by men, and every feeling of abandonment, fear, rejection that you have gone through, Jesus has gone through. What is so amazing about Christmas? God became human, fully God, fully man. And there's this verse in Isaiah chapter 9 that beautifully explains this. He's God and man in one sentence. You've probably read it a hundred times, but you've never seen it through this lens. Isaiah 9, verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born. Someone say child. 100% human. 100% human. 
Unto us a son is given. Someone say son. son. He always existed as a son. He always existed before time. A child is born, but a son is given. 100% man. 100% God. What I love about Jesus, he's so different than the Islam that I came out of. You know, read this book, go to this holy land, go to this building, do these things, then God will love you. Christianity, God comes to you in your brokenness, in your divorce, in your fear, in your addictions. And he says, I love you. I love you enough to die for you. You and I are so bad, someone needs to die. Yet we're so loved that God was willing. I want to end with this last story. Imagine in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. Adam wasn't there. Imagine he's inside playing Fortnite, you know, spirit-filled, he's playing video games. And Eve, let's say she eats the fruit, and now she's spiritually dead, physically alive but spiritually dead. And imagine that conversation that Adam would have to have with God. God's at the door. Adam, I'm, I'm so sorry. Your wife, your bride, she sinned, and she's going to die. Imagine Adam saying, no, Dad, what can I do to save her? Now, that conversation didn't happen. But I promise you this one thing. In heaven, God the Father turned to God the Son and said, Son, the bride I created for you has sinned and is going to die. I don't want her to die, Dad. But she has to. The wage of sin is death. And Jesus says, I'll die. I'll die so my bride can live. What is so amazing about Christmas is that God became a man and he died for you. You can bow your head, close your eyes. Before you begin thinking about Christmas presents and food trucks, and maybe you're in this room because you want to see your kids sing and dance, but you just take a moment and reflect on how amazing it is that God died for you, that he became human, and he suffered and died so that you wouldn't have to. What is so amazing about Christmas? Jesus. I just feel so led to pray for some of you because you feel this tug on your heart. Life is hard. Work is hard. God's speaking to you right now. You're not an emotional person, but you've never experienced a love like that before never knew God sent his son to die for you. And this God, he doesn't want anything from you. He wants a relationship. He wants to walk with you. He loves you so much that he left heaven to become human because you're his bride and he wants you to live and he wanted to die. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if that's you tonight and you want to start a relationship with Jesus, God who was born of a virgin, the God who lived a sinless life, the God who died on a cross for your sin, defeating hell, death, 
and sent on a cross for you and me, not for himself. If you want to start a relationship with that guy and he loves you, I want to count to three with every eye closed and every bow. Just raise your hand on the count of three. It's indicating that you want to start a relationship with God. Jesus. One. Two. Three. your hands. You can put them down. Just pray this prayer in your heart. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and died for me. That you lived a sinless life, perfect life. I didn't deserve it, God. I didn't earn it. I didn't do anything to achieve it. But I'm your bride. You love me with an everlasting love. I'm so grateful. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sin. But you didn't stay dead, God. You rose again on the third day, defeating death, hell, and sin. I believe it, Jesus. I believe that you died for me. I turn from my sin, and I place my faith in you to receive eternal life. Can we clap and cheer for the hands that went out? Thanks so much for listening. We hope this message impacted you and inspires you to draw closer to Jesus. Subscribe to this podcast and give us a follow on Instagram at Centerset Church to keep up with all that God is doing in our community. Also, we'd love to be in prayer with you. If you have any prayer requests, please send them to info at centerset.church.